you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And if you're new with us, new here, I'm, I'm so glad you are. Thanks for uh, coming and worshiping with us. I hope you feel very welcome. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you're welcome to help yourself to the one that's uh, in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take it, and it's our gift to you. Make it your own, write your name in it, and read it. Um, and if you're, this is your first time with us, and you're looking at that uh, title of the message on the front of the folder and thinking, what kind of sick people, weird group did I wander into? Stay tuned. We are uh, working through a series based on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, Jesus here is teaching us what it really means to be included, to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And this teaching is very confrontational. Um, Jesus here is not soothing us with these tender, consoling words. Now, there are places in the Bible where he does that, but this isn't one of them. Uh, Here, he's actually getting in our faces, and he's getting in our faces with the truth because he loves us. And he wants to rescue us from delusions that we might have that would keep us from experiencing eternal joy, experiencing his blessing. Or you could think of it this way. Instead of Jesus getting in your face, you could think of him as getting under your skin, kind of the way a surgeon gets under your skin with a scalpel because he's going to deal with some serious problem that lies deep beneath the surface where you can't see it. You know, good physicians will never treat just the symptoms. They want to look for the underlying causes, and they want to deal with those. And if that means they've got to go deep, then they'll go deep. Jesus is a good physician. Jesus wants to bring us to spiritual health. And what is the standard of spiritual health? What does it mean to be spiritually healthy? You know, if you're talking about physical health, there's all kinds of different measurements and standards, you know, things like, well, what's your blood pressure and your heart rate and your cholesterol level and all that fun stuff. What is the standard of spiritual health? Jesus tells us it is righteousness. Righteousness. Being right in God's eyes meeting his standard of what is right and good and true. And so when Jesus addresses an issue, a symptom, he never just deals with it superficially. He goes deep to deal with the real source of the problem in order to bring about righteousness. And that's what he's doing. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, that's where we'll be this morning. And here he starts talking about murder and how Scripture prohibits it. 
And we first hear that, we might think, well, you know, that's not me. So I kind of tune out. But then he goes deeper. You know, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. And what that means is he has the authority to tell us what the law really means, what it really requires, and to show us the true direction that it points and how he is the fulfillment of that in his teaching and his life and what he has accomplished for us. And so he has shown us where the law really points, and where it points is not just to the outer stuff, you know, the outward acts. He says it points deeper to inner motivations and desires and things like that. So when Jesus talks about murder here, he's not concerned just to uh, prevent an outward act. He is out to treat a much deeper problem that infects our hearts. So let's look. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Okay, what's he saying? Well, he starts out, you have heard that it was said. And he's going to say this several times as we work our way through the sermon. And what he's doing is he's challenging the conventional understanding that people have of the Scriptures. He's telling them that what they think the Bible teaches is not quite right. That the teaching they have been receiving has either been misquoting what God really said in his word, or it has been misunderstanding, misinterpreting, misapplying what God has really said, somehow missing the point of what God really wanted. And Jesus is here to set the record straight. So after saying, you have heard that it was said, he says, but I say to you, And then he gives them his explanation. In other words, he's telling them, listen up, because you're wrong, and I'm right. That's an incredibly arrogant thing to say, if he's not who he claims to be. But if he is who he claims to be, it is an incredibly loving thing for him to say, because He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to be in his kingdom. And if we believe lies about God, if we believe falsehoods about his standards, we're going to miss it. 
So Jesus is exposing a lie here. And the lie is something like this. The lie says that if you never actually commit a crime like murder, then you're okay. The Bible says you shall not murder. So as long as you don't murder, you've obeyed God's law. You are righteous. You're a good person. That's the lie. And I've heard people say that. Maybe you have too. If you go up to somebody and you just ask them, hey, tell me, do 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 you think that basically you're a good person? Most people almost always say yes. And then if you follow up with that and say, well, why do you think you're a good person? They will very often say something like that. Well, I've never done anything really bad. I've never murdered anybody. That's good. (laughs) That is good. But see, it's not good enough. It's not good enough for God. Jesus is saying that standard, not murdering anybody, uh, that's too low of a standard. God's standard's higher than that. Or to put it another way, that standard doesn't go deep enough. That is an external-only righteousness. And that does not meet God's true standard of goodness. True righteousness, true spiritual health, goes deeper than just avoiding murderous actions. True righteousness exposes murderous attitudes and kills them. That's where my provocative sermon title comes from. Okay, the commandment you shall not murder as fulfilled by Jesus really means you shall kill. You shall kill murderous attitudes that underlie murder whether those attitudes actually lead to murder or not. See, think of it this way. Murder is a fruit. It's not the root. Okay, so if you've got a plant in your yard that produces poisonous fruit, I remember when our boys were small, read an article about the kind of plants you should not have in your yard if you have children because, you know, it's going to produce poisonous stuff that if they eat it, they could die, it could kill them. Well, if you've got a plant like that, you're not going to solve the problem just by trimming off the fruit because it'll produce more. What you've got to do is you've got to go deep and you've got to tear that sucker out by the roots. You've got to get it by the roots. Okay, well, murder is a deadly fruit. But it's not the root. The roots of murder lie deep beneath the surface. The roots of murder are deadly attitudes within the heart. And the righteousness that God requires, the righteousness that Jesus gives us, that righteousness that just breaks in and begins to transform our hearts... His righteousness compels us to seek out those attitudes and find them and kill them. 
True righteousness kills murderous attitudes. So what are they? (laughs) What are these murderous attitudes? What do they look like? How will we know them when we see them so that we can bring them to Jesus and rely on him and his righteousness to kill them for? Well, he, uh, he explains. Here's the first one. This is a murderous attitude. Wanting to condemn those who wrong me. Wanting to condemn those who wrong me. Now he says in verse 22, uh, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And the implication here is that somebody, a brother, he says, okay, so a fellow believer in God, a fellow follower of Christ, someone in my you know, faith community, someone has wronged me in some way, or at least I think they have. They've wronged me, and I've been hurt. And something in me wants to hurt them back. I want to erupt in anger, and I want to yell, or I want to slam a door. Or maybe if I'm, you know, one of those passive-aggressive types, I just want to give them the silent treatment and just be bitterly cold toward them. Or I want to just use my words to just jab them. Or I want to talk about them to other people and let them know what a jerk he is. Kind of ruin his reputation. And Jesus says, that kind of attitude deserves God's judgment. People with that kind of attitude, Jesus says, deserve to go to hell. It's a murderous attitude. And if that sounds scary to anybody besides me, because it sounds scary to me, I think it should sound scary. Jesus is saying that that attitude is murderous, that that attitude violates God's standard, and it must not be tolerated. Now, I think it's important to point out that not all anger is sinful. Scripture makes that clear. Jesus himself became angry at times. He became angry at idolatry. He became angry at injustice. He became angry at other sins. And Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So it is possible to be angry and not sin. But I want you to notice how quick this verse is to tell us not to sin in our anger. Do you see that? Be angry and do not sin. And and that we need to resolve our anger quickly so we don't give the devil an opportunity. Why is that? Why does it tell us that? Because anger is very, very dangerous. It is very dangerous. We don't do anger well. We don't do even righteous anger well. And let's face it, most of our anger is not righteous. Jesus 
got angry for godly reasons, for God-centered reasons. Um, He didn't get angry because he personally was insulted. In fact, the Bible tells us that when he was personally insulted, he did not respond in anger. Look at 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him. So this is talking about when Jesus was arrested and, and put through a mock trial and then condemned. When he... When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The personal insults, he trusted God to take care of those. Now, we, on the other hand, usually get angry for selfish reasons. What I mean by that is we feel ourself has been attacked in some way. So our pride has been wounded or our goals have been blocked. Because we want to be appreciated, don't we? Everybody does. We want to be appreciated. We like to be admired. And we'd kind of like our agenda to be fulfilled. We'd like everybody to get on board with our wishes and if somebody messes with any of that, look out. Look out. Do you know why that kind of anger is so bad? It's not bad just because it makes you feel bad and it makes other people feel bad. You know why it's really so bad? Because it means we're playing God. We're acting as if we individually have the right to be somebody's judge, jury, and executioner. We're thinking, hey, what they've done to me, man, that's wrong. That's inexcusable. That's intolerable. I deserve better. And so they need to pay. And therefore, I have the right to treat them harshly to insult them, to do something to hurt them back. I have that right. No, I don't. No, I don't, because I'm not God. For one thing, I probably don't even know the whole story behind it, but even if I did know the whole story, it's still not my place to condemn anyone. That's God's job. So sinful anger comes from trying to be God instead of trusting God. And see, that is what is ultimately so evil about murder. It's not just that it does this horrible thing of depriving someone of this precious gift of life that can never be reclaimed. I mean, that's horrible enough, but that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that it is a person putting himself... Now, I'm not talking here about a legal process of justice. That's a different thing. I'm talking about an individual putting himself in God's place and deciding he has the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. That's what makes murder so terrible. Well, here's the deal. That's exactly what I'm doing 
when I condemn people with my anger and insults. I'm putting myself in God's place. Which means that wanting to condemn those who've wronged me is a murderous attitude. And that's not the only one. Jesus mentions another. It's not just wanting to condemn those who've wronged me. It's also, here's another one, wanting to ignore those I have wronged. Wanting to ignore those I have wronged. That's another murderous attitude. Now, Follow this carefully, okay, because this is what you might call an unexpected twist. I don't know if you noticed it, but as Jesus is talking here, he kind of turns the tables on us a bit. And you got to see this. Okay, so Jesus has just said in verse 22, everybody who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now in verse 23, he goes on, he says this. So... If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now hold it. Stop and think about that. Wouldn't you expect him to say just the opposite? Something like, if you're there, you know, at the altar bringing your gift and you remember that you have something against your brother. Because you're the one that's mad. You're the one that's upset. You know, he did something, and and you want to hurt him back. You want to insult him. You want to call him a fool or something. So wouldn't it make more sense for Jesus to say, if you go to worship, if you go to take your gift to the altar, and there you remember that you've got an issue with your brother. You're ticked at him. You're upset. Well, then you should go, and you should confront him and talk about it or something. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, then go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In other words, if you remember that you have wronged your brother, go and make it right. Because these words here, your brother has something against you, that means you really have done something. To hurt this other person. You've insulted them. You've dishonored them. You've mistreated them in some way. Yeah, probably because you were angry with them and you called them a fool or something. And what you'd really like to do is you'd like to really ignore your part of it. You'd like to pretend that didn't happen. And what you'd really want to do is focus on what they did. But true righteousness demands that you admit your wrongdoing and do what you can to make it right. So get this. The command not to commit murder does not simply mean avoiding the act of murder. And it doesn't just mean avoiding sinful anger in yourself toward others. It also means not provoking such anger in others. Because that's what happens when we wrong someone 
and pretend like we didn't. Like we're not responsible. It provokes people to the very kind of anger that God forbids. And those who belong to Jesus must not provoke that kind of anger in other people because it's an unloving, unrighteous thing to do. Now, that doesn't mean people aren't responsible for what they do. They are. It doesn't mean they don't have a responsibility to handle their anger in a godly way. They do. And this also doesn't mean that every time anybody gets mad at us, it must be our fault. doesn't mean that. In fact, Jesus said earlier in this very Sermon on the Mount, he said that uh, his followers would be slandered and persecuted simply because they belong to him. They follow him. And so people can get mad at you just because you're following Jesus and wanting to do what he wants you to do. So we're not responsible for every time somebody's mad at us. But what this does mean is that we're responsible for what we do. And if we do wrong to other people, we need to make it right. Because if we fail to make it right, we are provoking them to hateful anger. And that is a violation of God's righteousness. So I've got, this, I've got this need to kill this murderous motive of wanting to ignore my hurtful behavior. Okay, I want to I pretend it's not my fault. And I, I want to expect that everybody else ought to overlook my, well, I want to call it sin. You know, let's just call it something like, my idiosyncrasies or my, my little quirks. That's a murderous motive. It's a murderous motive because it's unloving to hurt people and then do nothing about it. That's not being a peacemaker, which is what Jesus said earlier in the sermon. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's being a peacemaker, a breaker. Not a peacemaker, a peacebreaker. It's provoking somebody to the kind of anger that destroys relationships, it destroys families, it destroys churches, and God is not okay with it. He is absolutely not okay with it. So I'm supposed to do what I can do to make it right, and to do that as quickly as as I can. I mean, that's, that's the point of that last part about coming to terms quickly with your accuser. You know, get it taken care of before it gets worse. Don't let anger fester by, you know, just letting it go when you can do something about it. You know, anger usually, well, it's not even strong enough. Anger almost never gets better on its own. You have to deal with it. Somebody described it to me one time. It's like um, you put a lid on a boiling pot, and eventually that lid will pop. And you can put the lid back on it, but it'll pop again. 
doesn't get better by ignoring it. You've got to deal with it. So, listen, whether we have been wronged or whether we have done wrong, Jesus is telling us to take responsibility for how we relate to others. We can't control what others do. So any efforts we make to make it right may not succeed, but that's not what we're accountable for. We can control what we do. Are you seeing how deep this righteousness thing really goes? You begin to feel that? I mean, it's not enough, Jesus says, to not murder people. Well, I've never killed anybody. No, that's not good enough. And it's not even enough to avoid getting sinfully angry when others do us wrong. It's also taking responsibility not to provoke people to sinful anger by doing wrong to them and then acting like we didn't. We have to go and try to make it right. That is the true righteous standard behind that very simple command, you shall not murder. And Jesus here, he's preparing us for what he's going to say near the end of his sermon when he sums all of this up and he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them, for that is the law and the prophets. Okay, why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know how impossibly high God's standard really is? Because I, I really, I can't imagine anybody reading this going, hey, well, I'm good. Don't be angry with people, you know, and, uh, you know, want to insult them and talk about them behind their back. Yeah, nah, I've never done that. Never. Oh, and don't, don't provoke people to anger by doing them wrong and then, you know, pretending like you didn't. <laughs> nope, I'm good. Can't imagine anybody. If you're thinking that, come and talk to me afterwards. <laughs> I want to make an appointment. Why do we need to know? This standard is so impossibly difficult that, that God does not just forbid murderous actions. He forbids murderous attitudes. Why do we need to know this? We need to know this so we will realize how much we need the Savior. We need to know this so we will know how much we need Him, how much we need to rely on Him, how deeply we need His saving work to go. Only Jesus can kill murderous attitudes. So your only hope, and my only hope, is to rely on Him. To transform you inside and out. To expose those attitudes and to kill those attitudes as you rely on Him. And what does that mean, to rely on Him? It means to trust Him. It means to put your life in His hands, to put your heart in His hands. To, uh, you rely on Him by believing what He says and then asking Him to help you do what he says, because you trust him. It's not because you're going to try to somehow meet that standard on your own. It's you're going to rely on him 
and allow his truth to expose and then to rely on him and his righteousness, his Holy Spirit to do his transforming work in you, to do what he says to do because you trust him. So what do you need to do? What do you need to do? Is there somebody you're angry at? Who has done wrong to you? What do you need to do about that? The Bible says you need to forgive. That means, that means giving up the right to hurt them back. How are you going to do that? You're going to need to rely on Christ. And you're going to need to remember His truth. You're going to need to remember how much He has forgiven you. You're going to need to remember his promise that he will make everything right. No injustice ever gets swept under the rug. Sooner or later, every wrong gets made right, and it will. You're never going to lose out by trusting him. You will never lose out by trusting him. Or is there somebody who's angry at you because you did something wrong that you need to take responsibility for and apologize for, even if it's just 1% of the problem. Say, well, it's, it's really their fault. It's like 99% their fault. Okay, take responsibility for your 1%. And don't put off dealing with it. Listen, you know what this is saying? It's saying don't let murderous attitudes, don't let that kind of anger get between you and worshiping God. That's why it says deal with it. Don't just come to church and try to worship without dealing with it. Don't let it get between. It's it's not that your relationships with others are more important than your relationship with God. It's that your relationship with God is so important you can't let anything else get in the way. And this will get in the way. So take it to the Lord. Ask Him to help you do what you need to do to make it right. It may be as simple as just going and saying, I'm sorry. I've been angry with you, and it's wrong. Will you forgive me? Or it could be saying, I'm sorry. I've hurt you, and I've provoked you, and I've tried to ignore it, and that's wrong. Will you forgive me? We're going to pray, and then our team's going to come back up, and we're going to sing some more songs of worship. And I would just say, if there's somebody in this room that you need to talk to, maybe you should slip out right while we're singing and just go and have a conversation. Or maybe make an appointment or with them or plan to get together with them. Maybe there's somebody not in this room. You just need to have, plan to have that conversation. I don't know. But I know God wants you to worship Him without that mess of murderous attitudes getting in the way. Let's pray. Father, your, uh, your definition of murderer is a lot uh, broader than we're inclined to think. And uh, 
Lord, I, I don't know of anybody who's never been guilty of the kind of anger that you're talking about here. But Lord, thank you that you love us, that you want to free us from the guilt of this stuff. Thank you that you want to transform our hearts and make them righteous. Lord, we can't do it in our own efforts. We need you. So we're just going to stop now and ask you. And Lord, I would pray if there's anybody here who has not yet taken that first step of putting their trust in you and your work on the cross to buy their salvation, to buy their pardon, because they can't buy it, they can't afford it. I pray that today would be the day that they would say yes to you and receive your gift. And Lord, just be at work by your Spirit. Do that deep work. Expose it, the sin, and help us make it right um, by, by taking it to you and then doing what you've asked us to do. Help us rely on you, Lord. We pray in your name.